I think a lot of people in the culture today uh, kind of come up with all kinds of different meanings. Uh, sometimes people may ask uh, this question, well, what faith are you? And it refers to faith as a description of a person's affiliation. So let me ask you, is that what faith means? Uh -uh. If someone came up to you and says, how would you define faith? Well, for a lot of Christians, they would probably go to the go-to faith verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's the beginning of the faith chapter. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's being confident about something that is uh, not readily visible. Uh, there are realities for which we have no material evidence, that we just believe, we have faith, that they actually exist. God being one of those. By faith goes beyond, uh, but faith goes way beyond just this uh, definition. Because the rest of the chapter, Hebrews 11, is all about people who took that faith, their belief in God, the, the assurance that I know that he exists, and they went on these missions. Sometimes even risky missions and assignments that God had given to them. And in fact, the, the Conclusion could be drawn that faith without any kind of associated action, well, it really isn't faith. I mean, I thought about this story in, uh, with Noah. What if, uh, what if Noah heard from God that you're supposed to build an ark, and uh, he went up and down the streets uh, telling everybody that I had faith that God was telling me to build an ark, and, uh, and yet that's all he ever did, was tell everybody that God had said build an ark. Would Noah have been demonstrating faith? <laughs> Not at all. The book of James puts it this way. Faith without works is what? Dead. But I, I often think people make another mistake when it comes to faith. They, um, they think they can make God uh, do what they want God to do by saying, I have faith in God. I have faith in God to provide me a new car. <laughs> I have faith in God that he will provide me complete, 100% healing. And it's as almost as if, if I, it just saying the words obligates God to accomplish my will, regardless of how God feels about the situation. I was part of a church once that wanted to build a new building. Well, they had a building that was just fine. It met their needs. Uh, it was just not quite as sharp as the building down the street. And so they said, well, we just need a new building. And I remember in a board meeting where one of the, one of the persons that uh, probably thought it wasn't a good idea asked one of the persons that thought it was a good idea, well, how are we going to pay for it? Funny how that question is always the last question, right? How are we going to pay for it? And what was the answer? He says, well, we'll just put our faith in God. Well, I would contend that's having more faith in faith than it is in God. Because we can put our faith in what God has said, what God has promised, not just in something that we've conjured up and says, well, we're going to trust God to give us what we want. So what is faith? Do we have faith? What does God think about faith? Do I need more faith? Our Christmas series, we, called, we call it Emmanuel, God with us. 
Last week we saw God is with us in the wilderness. This solitary, lonely, seemingly hopeless place of desolation where God comes and ministers deeply, restores hope. Today the title is God is with us in the storm. And the focus is faith. Storms can be times of great peril. Uh, I remember when we were living in Oklahoma, and uh, one day I was driving home from work, and it came on the radio that we were under a tornado warning. You ever been under a tornado warning? Uh, have you ever been, uh, my situation here, have you ever been under a tornado warning and you didn't need the radio to tell you? Because I was driving home and I looked out to the west and there it was. And it was tracking with me. The only problem was is that my house was up and to the left. And so I began to pray that that tornado would lift. And it did. Thank the Lord. Scary thought being in a chaotic, predictable storm. I remember traveling with my son Travis. We were in a rental truck moving our family from one coast to the other. And uh, he was just four years old. Cindy and Haley, she was just a baby. They were flying. Travis and I, he was four. We were traveling on this rental truck. And uh, we were in West Texas, and there was this first-rate, top-notch West Texas thunderstorm that hit us. And the sun had just gone down. There was lightning, and there was thunder, and there was wind, and there was hail on the top of that rental truck. It was dark. It got so bad that I pulled off to the side of the road because I couldn't see in front of me. The hail was pounding on the roof of that truck. It was so loud, and I could tell my four-year-old son across the cab there was uh, trying to be brave and not scared, but uh, at one point he finally had it, and he... He ripped off his seatbelt and he jumped across the cabin into my arms and he just looked at me and said, Dad, we're goners. <laughs> this is it. You ever been in a situation like that? Not a physical storm, sometimes a spiritual storm. Things seem chaotic, out of control, unpredictable, disorienting, treacherous, scary. Well, one day the disciples found themselves in a storm out on the sea, and it was bad. Oh, but there was help with this storm because Jesus was on board. No problem, right? Matthew eight twenty three. When he got into the boat, he being Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm, and the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I tell you, and I would encourage you, I, I, if you will just read that story and read it and reread it, there is so much to glean from it. I, I, 
When I was studying for this message, I thought of eight different points I could make. Aren't you glad I'm not giving you all eight today? There's just so much in this story. The first thing it says is that Jesus, Jesus uh, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Jesus led his disciples into the boat. Do you think Jesus knew what was about to happen? I would think he did. The question is, is why would he lead them into this storm? And I would say, what is, the greater question is, why did he decide it was time to take a nap? Jesus doesn't think like we do, does he? You ever have to tell yourself, Jesus just doesn't think like I do. God has different thoughts than my thoughts. God sees this situation totally different than I see this situation. Storms have purpose. Good purpose. And so my first point, Jesus may lead you into the storm. I face situations in my job, my family, my church, where I find myself saying this. Maybe you can find yourself saying this at some point. This is going to get worse before it gets better. You ever said that? You see the situation kind of unraveling, and you go, well, in order for this to really purge and really get cleaned up, it's going to have to get worse first. It's bringing to surface underlying stuff. You know it's going to get ugly but necessary. And many times, true spiritual change can only come through storms, upheavals, disruptions of the status quo in our lives that we try to just keep a lid on all the stuff. We know it's not good. We know it's probably ought to get flushed out, but we just want to just, I want to avoid dealing with that. Eventually, it leads to what I mentioned last week, a moment where we say, wake up. Can't you see what's happening kind of moment? Uh, Here's a hypothetical situation that would never occur in any of our lives, right? Okay. I say that when I say it might occur in your life, right? (laughs) It's Christmas dinner, and you're a Christian family, and you love the Lord, and... uh, You've gathered for the traditional dinner and has the appearance of peace and goodwill toward all men, right? But there is underlying issues. Everybody knows that those issues are there, and everybody knows not to talk about it, especially with stuff like, oh, let's just say politics. Just pick something out of the air, right? However, uh, your son has brought home his new girlfriend. She's unaware of the issues. And in a casual comment, just opens up some opinion that she has, a political opinion. And as soon as she says it, everybody around the table just gets tense. This would never happen at our tables, would it? Everybody kind of gets the deer in the headlights look. Oh no, what's going to happen? And then one family member just cannot restrain the rebuttal that needs to come to set the young lady straight. 
And as the opposing view is being spewed, here comes another opposing. Here comes one sticking up for the young lady. And here comes one that has no idea what this is all about, but is going to enter in anyway. And what happens? Years of conflict, resentment, bitterness get spewed out all over the turkey. <laughs> and the dressing and even the cranberry sauce, right? But hopefully, what eventually happens is everybody sees themselves. And hopefully it's disgusting to them that they've let stuff like this happen and build. And uh, Hopefully someone would say, we can't be this way. So I come back to the story. What do you think? Why, what do you think Jesus is trying to communicate by going to sleep? I hope you find this reassuring. I sure do. <laughs> Jesus is not afraid of your storm. Jesus is not afraid of your storm. He just sees things through a different lens. And uh, his work in our life is to constantly be using the stuff of life to draw us in so that we come to him, so that we may begin to see and process life the way he does and through his eyes. And uh, you can, you can imagine the scene. The disciples are doing everything they can to survive the storm. No doubt they've got their buckets and they're bailing the water. And uh, nothing they're doing seems to be working. They're losing this battle. When somebody comes to the bright idea, God's on board! <laughs> right? We've got, the, we got an out. We've got someone who can help us. So they rush down to him, and most likely they're shouting at him, save us, we're going to die, we're all going to die, Jesus, save us, save us. Another point that I could make about this, aren't you glad there's no drama with Jesus? Don't you have enough drama in your life? <sighs> I can just see Jesus, he just kind of rubs his eyes, right? And he stretches, probably. Why are you guys so afraid? I'm not afraid of your storm. To me, that speaks peace into our soul today because God never hears your problems and starts wringing his hands, wondering, what am I going to do about this? Right? We are frantic and we're trying to, what am I going to do about it? God is just saying, I got this. I know what's going on. I know what's going to happen in your life. Uh, I have a different perspective on this. It's, it's like my son in that cab in that thunderstorm. And uh, 
I'd been in storms before. I'd even been in West Texas, Thunder Boomers, and I knew we weren't goners. <laughs> I saw things so differently in my son, seeing that I wasn't afraid, brought some comfort. Jesus, he, he's, he sees the whole scope of eternity, and uh, he knows that there is power in his, he has this access to power that is, Includes this current storm. Maybe you need to hear this passage from Psalm 95 today. Let me just speak this over you. It says this, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are, all, are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. His hands formed the dry land. So come, let us worship. Worship means to put it all aside, that even in the midst of the storm, he's got it. Let us worship, bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. What a comfort, what a security. We are the people of His pasture. We're the sheep of His hand. You know, I think at first glance, this response that Jesus gives the disciples is somewhat puzzling. Why are you afraid? You men of little faith, why are you afraid? You men of little faith? I mean, isn't the answer to that obvious? The Greek word used for little faith here is oligopistos. I just like saying that, oligopistos. It's a compound word, pistos meaning faith, oligos meaning weak, feeble, puny. Timid. And if you put yourself in the scene for just a second, uh, the waves are violent, the boat is about to submerge, everyone is frantic, shouting at each other, shouting at Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus says, most likely in a very calm voice, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? I'm telling you, if I were on the boat, the last thing I would want is a little teaching moment from the master. <laughs> you ever been there? Here's the point. Jesus never wastes your crisis. I mean, what better place to expose you to the lack of faith and... Uh, the very fact that you can't handle this, you need God, then when you're going right through it. The teaching moment happens when the waves are still billowing over the side of the boat. Could it be that we are most open to the Spirit's movement in our life when we are in the moments of our deepest struggles? If we were God... We would probably tell the winds to stop. We would solve the problem first, and then we would have a debrief. 
in our teaching. But no, he decides to talk to them about their fear and lack of faith while the storm is raging. So many times people in their lives, they just wait out storms. They refuse to see that God may be saying something to them and uh, the relationship is fractured, but I'm too prideful to address it, too prideful to give in. I'll, I'll just wait it out. And as you know, the storm just keeps brewing. And as we grow spiritually, we become more and more aware of the positive impact the storms of life bring. We see job layoffs differently. We don't seem to take things quite so personally anymore. We see uh, conflict, problems, as these challenges that God can use to bring about stronger faith in me, can build something in my life, to overcome something for the future. And problems aren't seen as this depressing black holes that sometimes we make of them. And... But there is potential for what God could do in the most deep of my problems. And that's why we have verses that bring us encouragement. Romans 8.28, the, the flagship verse for this kind of situation. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. So let me ask you, does that mean that He can take a death of someone close to us and cause good to come from that in your life? Can He? Let me take it a step further. Can God, does it mean that God could take something like the experience of divorce, which Scripture says God hates, and could He use that for good in your life? It says all things. Oh, let's take it a step further. What about your own spiritual failure? What about your sin? Can God take your sin and cause good to happen in your life? It says all things. I'm not advocating that you go out and sin to see what God could do <laughs> or go get divorced to see if God can take something and make good out of it. But I think Scripture is speaking to us that in the, when life seems most broken, <laughs> God can cause good. Amen? <laughs> he can cause good. In Mark, we have the same scene recorded. And Jesus says to them, after he stills the sea, how is it that you have no faith? And if you combine the two accounts, you have Jesus saying, you have little faith. Then he calms the storm, and coming back to them, he says, how is it that you have no faith? 
to Jesus, this wasn't about surviving the storm. It was about the provocation of faith from those who said they believed in him. Jesus, God, desires faith. Faith is the, the realization that I can't handle this. And as we go through life, we begin to... I think when people are first Christians, they say, well, I can handle some things and some other things I'll give to God. You ever been there? I can handle this and this and this. God, those are the big things over there. You can handle that and that and that. And the further we go, the more mature we become in the faith is we want, well, we want him handling all of it. I want you handling all of my relationships. I want you handling all of the decisions of my life. I want, you to, I want to live moment by moment in the abiding love of Jesus Christ. I want to understand that I have a will for this, and he has a will, and his will is always superior. Over in Hebrews eleven six, it says this, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is pleased when we believe, when we have faith, when we entrust stuff to him. I believe that you are the almighty, the everlasting father, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. And I'm going to seek you in this. I'm going to pursue you in this. And I'm going to hunger for you. I want to bring you into this. He likes that because that's the way he created us to be. He did not create us to be on our own, trying to make sense of our lives. Trying to make sense of the world around us and try to manage them. He did not create you to work out your own problems, resolve your own conflicts, heal your own pain. And storms are meant to let you know that. Storms are meant to help you see that you can keep bailing all the water you want. It's going to come over you and you're going to have to come and say, God, Bring peace to my troubled life. Jesus knows what we go through. He has shared our struggle. And in speaking of Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews writes this at the end of chapter 4 of Hebrews, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And then verse 16. Therefore, because Jesus is who he is, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of his grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I say Emmanuel, God with us. Aren't you glad God isn't just watching from a distance? <laughs> He's present. He's here. He's constantly coaxing us. Believe in me. 
Draw near to me. Draw near. Come to the throne with confidence, with assurance that I am your God. You are in my hands. This whole idea of Christmas, the incarnation of God, meaning the embodiment that God took on the flesh and bone of man. He became one of us. He wanted to be among us. He wanted to be with us. He didn't send a message. He didn't send a book. Or he didn't send another. Oh yes, people have prophesied on him. Oh yes, we do have the written word of God. But that was not enough. He came himself. Because that was the only way that he could be with us. And when we, you and I, encounter these storms that will come, what are we going to do? Are we going to take our little buckets and keep bailing? Are we going to run to a book? I mean, even the Bible itself, to find answers and anything but Him. (laughs) We're going to try to make sense and talk to our friends. Why me? Why am I going through this? Why is everything happening to me? And Are we going to do like my little boy did in the cab of that truck? He loosened his seatbelt and he jumped across and he said, I'm going to the only source of security I have in this little place. Let the storms push you to him. And maybe you're here today and, oh, You want to come up to me afterwards? This was for me. (laughs) I'm in the storm of my life. I've been bailing water as best I can, and yet I'm losing this battle. Or maybe it's just kind of raining outside. (laughs) You suspect it might get worse. It could be that you just see some clouds forming. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to try to fix it? Are you going to try to figure it out? Are you going to try to make something happen? <laughs> you going to have faith in yourself? Are you going to have faith in a counselor or a preacher? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> You're just going to wait it out, maybe? Or are you going to say, win or win or lose? Live or die. I'm placing my faith in Him. Father, You know where um, the spiritual journeys are in this room. And uh, You know that person that is here that is in the most intense struggle of their life. And they perhaps hear a message like this and says, I've given it to him over and over and over. I've turned loose of it over and over and over. And I've just placed my faith in him over and over and over. And it just doesn't seem to get any better or it just doesn't seem to go away or 
Father, sometimes in those moments to declare faith in you and trust in you when the confusion and the chaos of the storm is raging and just continually rest in that faith perhaps is the greatest test of faith. And I pray, Father, for those in that situation today. You know who they are, Father, the very specific people that would respond and say, I've been in this storm and I've given it to him and given it to him. And I pray, Father, perhaps this would be that time, that expression of faith and trust that is, unaband- that is abandoning all personal hope or personal expectation of how you're going to resolve this, but really turn it over and leave the outcome, even if it means living in the storm. Father, you know. You know what you're doing, and for some there are those that live with, as it says in 2 Corinthians 12, this thorn, this constant place of unrest and unsettledness, and, uh, but there's purpose in it. And I pray, Father God, that even in these moments they may be able to declare faith that you know what you're doing and that their weakness will be embraced and counted as strength before you. And Father, for those that are here today and they, they desire answers to specific situations, I pray that their faith would be expressed to you in such a way that no matter what it is that you say, no matter how it is that uh, the situation plays out, they will trust in you. Father, we need you. There's no other way to put it. We just need you.